Welcome to the Purpose Driven Executive Podcast, where we help you go from making your work your life to making your life work. We share true stories, interviews, and experiences that will help you, the hero, in your quest for passion and purpose. Higher purpose, higher productivity. This is the Purpose Driven Executive Podcast. rocking and rolling. Well, listen, I am excited um, for you, the listener, but I'm actually more excited for me because I get to hang out with one of my heroes, just someone who's been encouraging me, egging me on unknowingly um, through places um, on Instagram and just different places in social media. She is an absolute fire starter. I want you to, uh, right now, but put, hit pause, go follow Sarah Riley or Sarah Riley Coaching on Instagram right this moment, the best feed that you'll ever follow. You can thank me later, but I'm going to welcome to the show right now, the one and the only from the other side of the world, from the land down under, Sarah Riley. Woo! I feel like I should have theme music with an introduction like that. I don't know if anyone's been there. Yeah. yeah, we'll pump it up. Eye of the Tiger. I'm feeling Eye of the Tiger. <laughs> is the Eye of the Tiger, okay. Yeah. We, can, we can do it. New one or old one? We have, the, um, we have the old version, 80s, or we have the Eye of the Tiger, whatever that one is. No, I'm that definitely one. feeling the, the old original. version. Okay, like, cool. Yeah, you shouldn't mess with a classic. I'm a purist. I'm a purist. Don't mess with a classic. If they did it right the first time, just leave it alone. <laughs> All right. So Sarah, tell us a little bit about yourself. You are someone that for a living gets to help people to find their purpose and to live it out and live it out loud. Uh, who are you? What do you do out there? What, what good stuff does Sarah do? Mm, classic coach story. Uh, I was the one that had the 10 year executive career and it looked super great. Um, multiple homes by age 30, six figure salary and drinking on weeknights and crying in the shower before going to work. Like absolute classic story of, I did all the stuff I was supposed to do, traveled, went to university, got my degree, worked my way up through the corporate ladder, got all the way to the executive level, made it to the top of my industry, and I've literally never been so unhappy. And I was so unhappy it gave me a tumor. Like I actually, it doesn't sound like a nice story, but I love telling it because I think it inspires people about how far you can turn something around. Like I remember um, getting out of the shower one morning and looking in the mirror and like, maybe I should have put a trigger warning on this story, but it was literally blood running down my face. Like I was so stressed that my skin had holes in it. And I was like, you know what? This isn't, this isn't it. This 100% is not it. It doesn't matter how much security you have from a salary if you hate your daily life. There is literally nothing outside of not doing that stuff that will fix hating your daily life. So I put in my resignation, sold everything I owned, went to Bali, um, hung out with Maston Kip for a month, did a bunch of deep work and subconscious reprogramming and learned that my lifelong dream of being a coach was not only not impossible, but totally possible, totally doable. And I learned firsthand the impact of doing your subconscious reprogramming. The mm. bottom line is it doesn't matter how 
unrealistic you think your goals are. Like I had a whole list of reasons that you can't just travel the world being a successful life coach. I was like, people don't like you. You're not good at anything. Like, you know, no one would pay you for that. It's not realistic. You know, all the, all the stories that we tell ourselves. And then I did the deep work. I did the reprogramming or one section of it. Obviously this stuff goes on for years, but like the most important portion of it, we dug out that specific bullet and I was like, oh, actually, I think I'm just going to go and do it. So I did. I moved to Canada. I launched the business. And uh, yeah, here we are wow. three years later. In fact, I was going to say to you earlier, we just missed my three-year anniversary. I walked out of my corporate career on September 2nd, 2016. And it is September 10th here in Australia. I think it's September 9th for you, um, 2019. So that's just gone three years of years of getting up in the morning, which is primarily making other people live their dreams and going snowboarding. Congratulations on three years of freedom. Yeah. Raise it's amazing. To you. Yes. I, uh, so it's funny. I just finished a glass of wine and you're drinking probably coffee there, right? So yeah. yeah this well, is I mean, it is coffee, but I'm trying to keep a lid on my caffeine, caffeine intake. So it's one of those uh, coffee substitutes made out of chicory, which I probably shouldn't admit to publicly, but it is. <laughs> it's great. You heard it. Here. <laughs> All right. So like the moment in the shower, right? The, yeah. the going down your face. Was that the, was that the moment? Was that your, was that the low moment where you realized or what was, what was the moment that brought you to the place of you saying, what I, what I chased, I've apprehended and it's not enough. Yeah. There was actually one other shift um, that was quite poignant. And basically I worked in an extremely high risk industry. I worked in heavy construction, shipping and oil and gas. So I spent 10 years doing risk management, occupational safety um, in industries where people really did die. Like, you know, not just stuff where we're installing handrails anywhere we can, but like literally when you come within five centimeters of exploding five people, right? Like it's, um, it's pretty high risk. And one of the people that died in a place where I was headhunted to come and fix the fact that people were dying was the best friend of one of my direct reports. And there was an emotional moment in our office where he absolutely lost his rag. And I copped a 90 minute tirade that was just, it was, I mean, it was directed at me, but it wasn't at me. It was just, you know, when people are in immense pain and they're frustrated and they're feeling lost because the company wasn't doing what it needed to to fix this. And I just happened to be in the firing line at that particular time. And at that time in my life, I was still quite a people pleaser and I still had a lot of, you know, pain points around people being upset with me. I have um, CPTSD and core trauma from a pretty rough childhood. So I, you know, when I left the office after that 90 minute tirade, Thankfully, it was interrupted for me to go be in a meeting, my eighth meeting of the day, because I had like eight meetings every day, the drama of corporate. But when I was driving home, I remember thinking to myself, oh, my weekend's going to be ruined because I'm going to be feeling terrible and embarrassed and all the rest of it after copping all that abuse. And then I was like halfway through the drive home and I realized I couldn't feel anything. And it was the first time that I had been like literally shouted at. And I mean, I'd been shouted at and abused my entire career. When you're the safety person in New Zealand with that, with the, the, the culture that we have there, it's a very she'll be right culture. It's a very make fun of anyone who gives a shit about safety culture. Um, you're, you're, if you're the safety person, you're the most hated person on staff. So I was used to being publicly abused, but I was also used to beating myself up about it and feeling absolutely horrific for a while afterwards. And on the drive home, I realized I don't care. 
I, I really don't care. Like we've completely overrode all of my people pleasing tendencies, all of my core trauma, all of my CPTSD. We have railroaded right over the top of my nervous system. We're, we're so far beyond like anything that mm. I, I think I'm done. I can't like this has gone to the point where if quitting my job and losing my salary costs me everything I've worked for the last how many years? Cause I started working when I was like 13. So by that stage I was about 30. How old was I when I quit? That must've been almost 32 because I'm 35 now. So yeah. But I just remember thinking, Oh no. Like if I, if I quit and lose everything, it'd be better than going to work and having this. Wow. I would rather be under a bridge than do what I'm currently doing for a six figure salary. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So and that, that was it. That was I, the point where I, I think I put in my resignation like a week later. Did you really? So, okay. Um, and I, and I want to hear this because you're, you like me are a proponent of what I would call occupational purpose, right? That we mm -hmm. can actually, if we're going to spend a large chunk of our life in this place, that we mm -hmm. should find some sense of purpose in what we're doing and yeah. you weren't find, finding that, but I, I like, I'm, I'm seeing almost like this, this backdrop though, of you, you mentioned something earlier, you said security, the security of this great job, what people would call mm -hmm. great with, with the benefits, with the, with the money, with the prestige. And I've worked in, in that environment as well. So I'm familiar in terms of um, the oil and gas and, you know, and safety. Um, I get it. But you said the word security. And I, I see that as one of these great lies. It's a, it's a facade. It's a trap. And it keeps people stuck in the survival mindset. When, like you're surviving now instead of thriving. But so I guess I'm, I'm looking at those two things, Sarah. I'm seeing this, this lie of security. I'm seeing this breaking moment. And I want to know, how did you, how did you exit? How did you, you said, okay, I'll, I'll, t I'll choose the bridge if I had to choose. Yeah. But you didn't get that. You, you didn't get the bridge. Hey, thanks for being someone who is on this journey of purpose with me. And I am with you, my friend, and I've got something for you. Have you ever been moving towards purpose and sometimes it just looks like a big mess? Sure you have. We all have. And the reality is, is we're usually not going to get to a destination unless we have a roadmap. And that's exactly what I've created if you will go to PurposeDrivenExecutive.com, you can get it for free. And this is the culmination of all of my studies, all of my coaching, all of even my own personal living. And I've created a very visual, very easy way for you to map out your purpose. This is for you. This is for people you're leading. This is for your family. Go on over right now, PurposeDrivenExecutive.com and get your free map of purpose no that which is that like this is this is the anomaly this is the thing that almost everyone who has leapt will tell you before you leap is that i know it doesn't sound very, very realistic when we you know you see quote cards on instagram all the time that say leap and the net will appear and everyone just wants to punch you in the face when you post stuff like that right but it <laughs> the thing is when I quit, the only thing I knew, because my friends, you know, everyone at work was like, oh, have you got another job? And I was like, nope. And there was just nothing after that because everyone thinks that I quit to go live my dream as a life coach. No, when I quit, I had no idea where I was going or what was going to happen. For me, it was very real that this was a slippery slope to under a bridge. 
Like that was basically what it was. But the thing that sort of kept me going was I was like, regardless of what I think, I can't possibly be right because it isn't working. So I think you do need to have a job. I do think you have to trade hours for money. I do think all of this stuff and that's why I've been doing it for years, but it's not working. I'm not getting ahead financially. I'm not getting ahead emotionally. I'm not growing or developing as a person. I'm not getting any more purposeful. So whatever I'm doing isn't working. And the simple fact is you can't get to a happy destination on an unhappy journey. How are you supposed to arrive at purpose and health and joy and security when every single day is just death? Like, like just like when you cannot stand any aspect of what you're doing, like five out of seven days a week, the whole concept of a 40 hour work week drives me insane anyway. But like, you know, <laughs> un, unpopular opinion, working five out of seven days is offensive. Um, only having two days a week to do what you actually want to do with your life you can't like travel the world on that. You can't learn languages on that. You can barely get your laundry done in that. Like it's just, it's not, it's not okay. The idea that you're at, and I mean, in America, you guys work ludicrous hours and don't have guaranteed paid vacation. I'm from New Zealand where we do a 40 hour week or a 50 hour week, depending on your job, but we're guaranteed four weeks of paid vacation a year plus five to 10 sick days. Mm-hmm. And I think it's the same in Australia. Um, and it's just, like I feel like we really miss the fact that we are spending five days a week doing stuff we hate five whole days like I know I sound very dramatic but I feel like we've missed that I feel like we've gotten so used to the idea that you work Monday to Friday that we're not seeing the fact that this is like almost 80% of your week doing something that you don't care about. And I, even though it sounds dramatic, usually what I say to people is, would you keep going in if they stopped paying you? And if the answer is no, it's not your purpose, right? Mm -hmm. Because when it's your purpose, when it's your mission, when it's the thing that you genuinely care about, nobody can stop you doing it. And that's how I knew that coaching was my thing. Like if you, yeah, that's my whole life has been asking people what they're doing with their life, asking them what's going on with their plans and using all the things that I have learned in all my spare time to help them see a new perspective or find a way out. Like that's like, you can't switch that off with me. Some, sometimes my friends will, you know, if we're out having drinks, they'll be like, Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to make you work. And I was like, there is no making happening here. This is, this <laughs> is me. This is what I do. Like getting, getting clarity, getting movement, getting momentum, getting development, educating. This is, this is just me being me. And that's why it was so important to figure out a way to make a career out of it because it happens anyway. Why not get paid? I love, I love that. And uh, you can't get to a happy destination with an unhappy yeah. journey. journey. That is that is so powerful. And, and the interesting thing is I feel like that, uh, especially again, you know, you, you work with a ton of people over here in the States, right? People here, are so, we're yeah. so focused on the destination. But if you're going to Disney World or anywhere else and you're fighting all the way there, you know, for an eight hour car ride or whatever, do you think that impacts the destination as well? It's yeah. impossible yeah. Right, to enjoy the destination if you're not enjoying the journey. I, I love that. And you mentioned something you said that you, when, when you're talking about the, the five days a week mm-hmm. and, um, and over here, of course, I feel like we romanticize that and, 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 and um, oh, absolutely. we worship at the altar of the grind. Yes. And it, like, what damage do you feel like that's, that's doing to, to purpose and to life and to joy and to. Well, it's just rampant distraction, 
right? Basically, we're just trying to keep ourselves busy till we die. Mm. We're just racing to the grave. We're just trying to get as much done as we can before we die. And the problem with that, though, is that, like, once we do die, and I don't like to be morbid, but, you know, it's going to happen. Once we do die, like the thing that really bothers me is that none of this stuff changes. Like when you die, your inbox doesn't automatically empty. Like, and if, if you die, the company will, you know, there might be a group email go out, but then they'll just hire someone else. Right. So it's kind of like, if it's <laughs> like, we're just racing to the grave and we're just trying to make sure that we do familiar things all day so that we don't have to feel any discomfort, you know, emotionally. And it just, the whole, the whole situation makes zero sense to me. I'm like, we cannot just be here to busy ourselves, distract ourselves, push paper, you know, all that sort of stuff. And then we die. Like what, like, what is, what is, what is that? What is that for? Like, what is the point? It's like a lifelong journey of pain avoidance. It sounds like, and, and never really moving the needle on anything meaningful. Yeah, and the, the thing that really bothers me is that we've known about quantum physics since like 1925, right? So we know that it's not a case of the atoms are doing whatever they want, reality is being constructed arbitrarily, and we just have to, you know, we're just hapless victims navigating our way through it. No, we like if you had a microscope powerful enough in your house, you could watch the atoms around you responding to you. They respond to us. They build uh, based on the blueprints that we issue through our emotions. Like we, we have good quality physics and neuroscience showing us this every day. So the idea that you would have to navigate it slash survive it slash just get by in a world that you are literally like creating mm. just makes zero sense. And I'm like, I already have massive pain points around things not making sense. Like when you grow up with mentally ill people, when they stop making sense, it's like, it's like a huge, you know, it's like a huge warning sign. So when stuff isn't making sense, all of my, all of my CPTSD leaps to the forefront. So I'm naturally very interested in this. Like I have, I have quite intense hypervigilance, which incidentally is a trauma response, but it ended up being the best thing ever because it makes you a phenomenal coach. When you have hypervigilance and you've studied uh, micro expressions and, you know, deceptive trained, you don't miss anything. People can tell me they're doing fine with something. And I like read micro expressions like a ninja and it helps you get to the core of the issue so freaking fast. So anyway, that was a little tangent, but it's just something that I love and I'm excited about. So there you go. Bonus. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> bonus materials. People of purpose. I have something for you. Go to my website right now, donnytuttle.com and click on the registration and I will send you a free mini masterclass on purpose. Listen, we talk about who are you being as a human being, taking an account for what you want to be in the future and breaking that up into smaller steps with vision boards. We tackle self-talk and what I would call your I am statements. Listen, it is a great, powerful way to get yourself rocking and rolling. Go register right now at D-O-N-N-I-E-T-U-T-T-L-E.com. So... Yeah. All right. So you um, talk to me a little bit about your, your profession and um, Sarah, I see so many people out there that are, I don't know what they're experienced in, but there, there are so many people that would um, hang the shingle on their mm. social media or other things that would either say, well, there, there's the big one, right? There's influencer. 
there's, yeah. there's coach, there's all kinds of coaches. Yeah. You and I both are. There's life coach. There's all these things. What's, what's, what's the difference? Like, I don't, maybe I'm asking this for myself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because I, because I, I see this and there's almost like um, a resentment, um, not a resentment, but like, man, the, the, bar, the bar for entry is, is so low. Yeah. Um, so that when you, you know, if people ask what you do, I, first off, I don't think that it's summed up in two words by any means. And especially mm-hmm. when, right, everyone has their own interpretation of that. But I don't know, talk to me a little bit about the industry that you're in and maybe um, how you set within that. Yeah, yeah, good question. So when people ask me, I usually just say life coach straight off the bat because I find that a simple answer gives you the response you're looking for. Either people understand what you do, they've worked with a coach before and you'll get an extremely positive response 90% of the time because I mean, just, you know, the work is amazing. I mean, I am where I am because of phenomenal coaches. So, um, or you'll get either confusion or whatever. And then I would specify. And for myself, I would specify that I do subconscious rewiring um, because like it's, in my opinion, the most important part. Because the bottom line is, if the mindset is off, if the nervous system is not trained to accept or welcome in any of the stuff you want, it doesn't really matter what strategy you use, right? Like most people would agree that business coaches have some component of life coaching naturally brought into them. Because if your business isn't working, the problem is you, right? Second unpopular opinion in a 10-minute stretch. I am going for it today. Um, <laughs> But yeah, so I usually explain it as subconscious rewiring because the line is it's not manifest anything that your nervous system doesn't feel safe to receive. So remodeling your life and your emotions and your belief systems and all the rest of it to manifest something different becomes irrelevant if your nervous system perceives fear or threat from it in any way. Um, and then if people want to know what that is, I've had a few people that are confused at the idea. I usually simplify it even more and say 90% of our day is controlled by the subconscious. So there is a lot going on behind the scenes and the vast majority of your survival wiring was in place by age seven um, and another big chunk by age 10, um, which means that if you don't ever upgrade the software, then your system is still responding to stuff it was afraid of decades ago. Say that again. Say that again. If you don't uh, upgrade. If you don't upgrade the software, then your system is still responding to programming and things that you learn to be afraid of and coping mechanisms that you developed to handle those from literally decades ago. So are you telling me, telling us, that um, I might be responding to something that was valid a decade Mm -hmm. ago, but it just doesn't serve me now? Yeah, 100%, because the thing is, the human um, nervous system is wired for survival, not happiness, right? So your system has learned a bunch of stuff when you're a kid about how to survive when you're in your hyper-learning phase. Zero to seven um, is the is the real kicker because we don't get like measurable functional empathy until seven at the earliest. I mean, allowing for bio-individuality, it fluctuates. Um, but anything before seven, any programming that went in before seven is going to be and it's oversimplifying it to say wrong, but <laughs> but it is wrong, right? Because all of it will be you centric. Like for example, if you're four or five years old and you're, you know, you you need affection or validation from a parent and the parent turns away, then you you're not gonna learn, oh, 
my parent is having a rough day because they've got multiple children and a lot going on in this world is hard and all the rest of it. No, you, you're not able to intellectually reason that, especially not without empathy. Mm. So the survival meaning you're going to make is going to be something closer to my needs are too much. When I ask for things, people turn away from me. Basically having needs costs me connection. Mm. That's this type of stuff that is inherently wrong right? Because pretty much everything you learned to survive as a child is the exact opposite of how you must act as an adult in order to succeed and to thrive. Mm. So the system never updates or self audits that stuff because we're wired for survival. It's like, well, I learned that that's how I survive. And since I'm not dead yet, it must be working. And people say, well, yeah, I'm not dead, but I'm in a horrible stress state and nothing is working. And it's like, right. But when you're wired for survival, the system doesn't care about happiness. The human nervous system perceives extended periods of happiness as a state of vulnerability, which makes total sense. Like in caveman times, and I wasn't there, so please take this assessment with a grain of salt. But in caveman times, if you're just sitting on a log, enjoying a beautiful bonfire, chewing on a leg of zebra, listening to some drum beats or whatever they were doing back then for entertainment, you're not seeing the tiger creep up on you. So it's not conducive to survival for you to just be chilled out, right? We have intense survival systems for a reason, and it's worked. We are still on the planet. But if your system is wired for survival, not for happiness, then you can't assume that you're going to be naturally drawn towards your soul's calling. No, your biology is going to fight you at every turn. And if you don't want it to fight you so much, change the programming so that it's not terrified by everything you're trying to do. Hmm. And that's what I do. I change the programming. All right, Sarah, I'm going to ask you to put on your coaching glove, right? The, the, whichever one you reach in and you pull the wires out with, because I want you to talk to people pleasers. I have a lot of nice guys, right? <laughs> Listen to me. And, um, like, and, and you said you, you're recovering from that or, you, or you've recovered from that. Yeah. So yank that wiring out. Talk to some of us people pleasers for a little bit. Okay. All right. Well, I mean, obviously there's a lot of different stuff going on and I'm not going to cover off all of the possible traumas that may have um, you know, led to this particular coping mechanism or we would sure. be here all day. Sure. But if we, if we oversimplify it, take it right down to the, to the root cause, right? All human fears can be pretty much filtered, diluted all the way down to two at the bottom, which are, I'm not enough and I won't be loved. Mm. The bottom line is if you're people pleasing, some part of your nervous system thinks that you need to keep people happy in order to be safe. And that's not much of a stretch. I mean, how many of us grew up with, um, you know, situations where if someone was unhappy in our household, that that was a problem. I mean, any of us who grew up in a household with other people, I mean, especially those of us who grew up with people who are mentally ill, right? Because you have to keep everything on an even keel. You have to keep people healthy, um, healthy, healthy, happy and healthy. That was a new word I made up. It's neologism right there from me to you. Merry Christmas. Right now. Yeah, but you have, to, you have to keep people on an even keel in order for you to be safe, right? You have to keep them happy. You have to keep them healthy. You have to keep them, you know, like... Basically, you've got to stabilize your home environment, right? Because your nervous system means that your nervous system means, okay, this is what happens when I have 16 thoughts at the same time and they all come out as a collection of words because now I'm picturing half of my clients that I've done this work with. Okay, your nervous system is wired for survival and the primary survival need is connection. That's mm. what I was trying to say. So anything that threatens connection will be thrown out. And if any time you tried to do X, Y, and Z and it got a bad reaction from the parent who is your primary source of connection and food, just for an added bonus, right? Like all of your survival needs are met by the parent. Then you're going to learn that whatever that thing was, was bad. 
So it's just, it's just not that hard to understand where we got people pleasing from. The system wants you to stay safe within the tribe, being good, being nice, being accepted, having people like you, whatever is a fairly obvious survival tactic. The problem, the reason it's not working, which is what I think people will be more interested in, because then there'll be a bunch of people listening to this podcast going, but I'm so nice to people and I make sure I don't do anything that upsets them and nobody meets my needs and I'm so unhappy and I'm so unhealthy. It's like two things are going on. One, if you're in giving, you're not in receiving. So the energy is only going one way, right? You got to learn to be in both at different times. And two, when you are people pleasing, you think that you're being so lovely and you're not <laughs> energetically people can tell that you're being deceptive mm. right because you're doing something because you think it will please them but it's not what you want to do you think you're hiding your resentment really well and you're not no. it is leaking out of your pores and it is putting people off because when when you're a people pleaser you mm. change based on who's watching you you change based on right? And if you're in a group of people, they can see you doing it. They might not be able to put their finger on what's going on, but they know that it's really hard to be around you because you're an unknown quantity. If you change what you want based on who's in the room, they don't know how to deal with you. This is why boundaries are not only not a problem, but they make your relationships easier. Like if I invited you to my house for dinner and I said to you, hey, listen, tell me in advance what you're allergic to. And you said, no, I'm just going to let you make a bunch of stuff. And if I don't like it, I won't eat it. I would be like, wow, you are the worst dinner guest ever because now I'm going to have to make like six different things and hope. And this is really stressful. Why don't you just tell me that you're allergic to black beans and you hate broccoli and I will make stuff that doesn't have that in it, right? When you're being a people pleaser, you have lax boundaries. Um, there's usually a bit of codependency at play. And because you're so changeable, trying to like fit in with everybody else, it just makes you impossible to navigate, which makes you exhausting as a person and as a friend. So people can sense that you're deceptive and inauthentic, so they're not going to want to hang around you. Two, your resentment and martyrdom is leaking out of you yes. and making people upset. And three, your health will end up in the toilet if you keep doing this because we are not designed to keep giving and giving and giving and giving. The, the ideal option is to give from overflow. E.g., you fill up your own cup, and when you are so happy and healthy that it just can't help but spill out of you, then you use that energy to help and love people, right? But, and many women who are listening to this will resonate with this. Um, you can tell you've been overgiving when your thyroid starts shutting down for two reasons. The emotional messaging of the thyroid is when's it going to be my turn? Women who overgive often have thyroid issues. And two, if you are giving from your own supply rather than overflow, your system learns that it can't trust you with your own energy stores and it starts shutting them down. Your thyroid is your metabolic center. If you are giving and giving and giving, it will say, I can't trust you with your energy reserves. If we're going to survive, we need to start slowing this down. You're going to be too tired to give because that's how we survive. Wow. Yeah. I literally had a client um, that I worked with that was, <laughs> that was, she would voice exactly that. When is it my turn? And mm -hmm. guess what she had problems with? The thyroid, yeah. the metabolic center. Yes, if you can't yes. be trusted with your energy stores, then it's going to take it away. It's kind of like the easiest um, analogy I have for this is, you know, when someone drinks too much alcohol and they vomit everywhere and it's not within their control, like just projectile vomiting. The system has learned that you can't be trusted with poison. You're going to keep pouring it down your neck at a rate the liver can't deal with. And the only way to save you is to force eject it. 
The system has so many of these built in to make sure we survive. Our bodies are absolute marvels. They are freaking wonders of survival. And if you try to kill yourself by giving and giving and giving until you are completely spent, it won't let you. It'll shut you down and you'll end up exhausted with brain fog in bed and you'll start to put on protective layers. Wow. And that's what happens. Wow. So one of the things that, and I, I, I believe, and this is, this is where um, there's overlap between um, just beliefs and, and some of the work that you're doing. I see some really cool things where Sarah Riley is helping people to release their genius on the face of the planet, right? Um, we believe, like, it's like there's this, there's this powerful, like, in, in, you know, from heaven, and then we have the earth, and then we have this being in between these two places that really is almost like the lightning rod conductor that can contain these gifts. And if we don't use them in a way that is gratifying, we, we probably blow up. Mm-hmm. But, like, how, like, how can someone, let's just say they're, they're stuck in the life of the box, they wake up and, and, um, and, and they go from one place into it. Like it's, it's the same routine day in and day out. It's that place where they're, maybe they're not in love with it. How do they get from that, Sarah, into the place of like, I'm living, my, my genius is alive here. I'm, I'm, I'm alive and, I'm, and I'm, I'm loving others and I'm loving me in the process. I think the first step is accept the fact that if you can't see a way out, that doesn't mean that there isn't a way out, right? Because you don't know how to do it doesn't mean it can't be done. I think that's like some really specious reasoning that I see a lot where people are like, yeah, but how? And they're like, you know, they say it in that tone. They're like, yeah, but but how could I? And there's this kind of like weird self-righteousness in, this, in, in the sense where it's like, I, I can't see a way out, therefore there isn't one right? Mm-hmm. So what I often tell people to do is like, just have a quick scroll of Instagram or YouTube, literally see people defying what you're saying, literally look and see them doing the stuff you think is impossible. The bottom line is if it wasn't po- like, if it was completely impossible to just in your job, bend the whole model of reality around trading hours for money and just start living your dreams. Like, yes, it does feel impossible from where you are, but if you were right, how come the evidence is not on your side? Set the ego to one side for a second and just recognize that if we just go purely on evidence, you're losing. Like we have more evidence that says you can than evidence that says you can't. And the evidence that says you can't is self-fabricated cheating, right? You're saying, well, I can't because I haven't. It's like, well, that's your choice. If you're choosing to even try then you're fabricating evidence. The bottom line is there are literally millions of people in the world doing hilarious things for millions of dollars, right? There are, there are, there are teenagers making money off filming themselves eating lunch. Like someone invented <laughs> food. Like there are like one of the people that I follow that I follow specifically for this reason, follow like specifically to be reminded every day that if I'm applying the concept of work to something, I don't have to, right? I follow Amanda Francis for this exact reason because she is phenomenal at just showing people that it literally doesn't have to be that hard. And she's also phenomenal setting aside her own fears around being liked and just showing, look, it doesn't have to be that hard. I know that's a triggering sentence, but I'm going to demonstrate it every day until you get it. And the first time I actually saw her online, a client told me to look her, um, to look at her Instagram feed. And the first thing I saw was she had those dramatic blinds coming up and you could just see this ocean view. And I was like, oh, instantly, this is what I want on my feed. Beautiful. And then I went to her stories And the Instagram story that I had been on for at that time was like 
several minutes, like a whole, like, you know, when you're looking at Instagram stories and it looks like an ant feed across the top, like there's so many. Of them. <laughs> yes, and I was yes. pulling through and she'd recently gone on a, you know, a bit of a shopping spree buying things for her house. Right. And she likes vases and flowers and candles and, you know, the feminine style stuff. And I literally watched about 20 different stories, all of her saying, Bay's vibes, Bay's vibes, Bay's vibes. And it was just, and then at the end of this Bay's vibes um, Instagram story, there was a pile of chicken wings. And I was like, this woman is like crushing business. She's doing, you know, I think, I mean, whenever I say this, I'll be instantly wrong because time moves on and money moves on. But it was like a million a quarter. Like she was doing million dollar launches at this point. And it was just like, 20 stories of vase vibes followed by chicken wings. And you know what? <laughs> All of this stuff that we say you have to do, you got to have this funnel. You got to have that. Your mailing list has to be this. This has to be that. No, 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 it doesn't. Because there will be someone out there who doesn't have any of that stuff and who's making it work. Like I was doing five figure months, multiple five figure months in my coaching business, completely sold out more than 21 to one clients at a time for literally years before I learned what the word funnel meant. Like I didn't know what a sales funnel was and I did not advertise for the first few years of coaching specifically because I was operating a model of reality that said, whoever needs me will find me. Mm. I love that. And I'm definitely someone who's been guilty of that in the past where I get caught in, and actually I have this big giant whiteboard on the other side of my office. I get caught in the mechanism and sometimes we can, we can do that. And the reality is, is that's not what's going to make it happen. Like, Sure, it can add to what you're doing. Yeah. That is, uh, that's powerful. Yeah. The key is like, if your mindset is on track and you've set up your models of reality to deliver the specific version of reality that you want, then it doesn't matter what strategy you use. Any strategy will work because you're in alignment. If your helipad is lit up green, the green helicopter will land there. That's just how I like to think of it. But if you haven't got your mindset sorted and your nervous system is still desperately to keep you separated from money because you grew up in a situation where, you know, either you weren't terribly wealthy or there was an understanding that wealthy people are, um, insert the word here, et cetera, et cetera. Then it doesn't matter what strategy you use because you're operating a nervous system that won't let you receive it. And then even if the money comes in, you'll get rid of it. And that's where we see self-sabotage, which is a misnomer. It's really self-protection. But yeah, there, there is no substitute for setting up your programming correctly. Like it, the mindset work is everything. And personally, I'm not a huge fan of the word mindset because I think it gives people the, the idea that it's about positive thinking or it's about, you know, repeating mantras with no emotional content or, you know, that kind of stuff. It's like, oh, if you know, most people would say they have a good mindset. It's not about a good mindset. It's about what are the fundamental models of reality that your system is operating within. If you don't expand them, you stay within them. If your nervous system won't accept it, you cannot manifest it. So yeah, any strategy will work when you're in alignment with your end goal and no strategy works when you're not. That's my take on it. This is so cool. So connect this. Obviously there is a connection. I'm sure um, the audience is, is feeling this, but connect this, this internal with the external, right? Like, so um, maybe I'm a, I'm a CEO or maybe I'm an entrepreneur. Like these are the people you work with, right? So how, how does this like connect me to some productivity here? And maybe you can sh either share a story of something where this has happened or like, well, like how do you normally see the dominoes fall, Sarah? Well, when I say, when you say connected to productivity, I think what people need to understand is that your behavior 
is level five in a five-step process. You can't change behavior at the level of behavior. You're not going to improve productivity. It's like trying to change behavior at the level of behavior is like telling an alcoholic to stop drinking. Right. It doesn't work because you haven't disabled the engine that's powering it. We are amazing creatures. There is always a good reason that we're doing everything we're doing, right? Level five is the manifested behavior. Level four is the belief system powering it. Level three is your coping mechanisms and the emotional scab where all this is stored in the body. Level two is your survival meanings, as in the actual wiring, the models of reality that you operate within. And then level one is the original incidents. This is Maston Kipp's content. He's um, you know, trauma hacking expert. So the idea of productivity, if you just go straight to the task, right, you're operating five levels too high. This is like, you can't have a coach that, you know, treats you like, it can't be the type of relationship where it's like a personal trainer, right? I have a personal trainer. They're awesome because you get way faster results because they're standing next to you in the gym. So you can't cheat. And when you think you're not able to push any more weight, they just yell at you till you do. And as, as we also know that when I go to the gym without my trainer, I don't work that hard. Like I would never, like, I just don't hate myself enough to put myself through that amount of pain. Right. And I mean, that doesn't make it sound very good, but the results from it are amazing. Right. So it is good to get that, you know, that bit of, bit of, bit of shouty behavior a couple of times a week. Right. So when someone is trying to tie all of this to productivity, what I would say is if you're not being productive already, there's a good reason right? If you're not rushing to do all of the amazing stuff, there will be a good reason. So it's not about yelling at you until you do more, setting up your emails in such a way that you get reminders and blinks and all the rest of it to, to make sure that you do your stuff. I would look at why you're not already doing it. Is there a mm. lack of true motivation and inspiration? Do you just genuinely not super duper love everything you're doing? That, I mean, that's a problem. You're not, you can't keep, these aren't machines, right? You can't just mm. keep year in, year out and not have it affect your health. And then on top of that, okay, if you do love what you're doing, if you really do want business to succeed, because I work with um, a lot of people who own startups and they really do want it to succeed. It's not a lack of love at all. So then we have to trace, okay, what does your nervous system think is going to happen when this blows up? And that's where you start unpacking fear of visibility, fear of success, fear of failure, all the rest of it, and start changing that wiring. So for the CEOs, the entrepreneurs, the startup owners, the key is don't get lost in why the surface level stuff isn't happening because there is a good reason why you are doing or not doing everything that you are doing or not doing, right? This is gold, yeah. Yeah, the key is to go down to the root cause and be like, listen, the whole reason people fall off a wagon is because they were on a wagon. Don't get on a wagon to start with, right? <laughs> Stay off like the wagon. Um, yeah, like it, if you had to get on a wagon to go where you were going, then your legs didn't want to carry you. Of course, you're going to fall off, right? If you try to go to the gym for the first two weeks of the year because you set a New Year's resolution that says, I'm going to get fit this year, you will stop going because you were changing something at the level of behavior. You haven't figured out why you weren't going to start with. You have disabled the engine that was powering your inactivity to start with. So you can keep fighting your own nervous system and forcing your way to the gym if you want to, or you could look at programming that kept you out of the gym to start with and disable it. Like I did some work with a woman weight loss a while ago, and it was it was awesome. It took us about 20 minutes to disconnect the neural connection that was causing her to eat junk food. Once you disconnect that, you don't need discipline to keep yourself away from it because the system no longer sees it as a way to get its needs met. 
disconnecting mm. the neural connection that is messing everything up for you is incredibly powerful. In the next few months after that session, she lost over a hundred pounds and kept it off with no wow. diet plan and no exercise. Because the problem was not that she doesn't have the perfect diet. The problem was her system had equated relieving emotional pain with junk food. If you disconnect that, the system no longer recognizes that it's an option and it doesn't take you to the donuts to start with. Mm. Sarah, I love, um, I, I love what you just now shared there. And I, I guess when, when we look out over the, the landscape, and again, I'm looking at this self-help, personal development stuff, you will see piles of boot camp this, boot camp that. And, yeah. you know, the thing about, and I don't know what it's like in the military in Australia, but I know that boot camp usually in America lasts like, like six weeks. And then it's done, like boot camp, like it's not sustainable. Like you are not meant to stay under that type of, um, as you put it, self-hatred, right? Because someone is <laughs> shouting at you, you're like, you suck, you can do more. And, and that's that, that you, you can get a, a jumpstart in your results um, if you're just looking for results and behavior modification, but ultimately it's not going to remain like this is, this is, it's going to go away and you're going to go back to the same environment, to the same place, to the same haunts yep. that you had before. And I think you brought a really good explanation as to the why. So I really appreciate what you've, what you've done there. Well, I'm going to, um, we're, 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 we're just going to bring this one home, Sarah. And I'm going to ask you two, um, two things. Number one, which way would you like people to find you, to follow you? Obviously, Instagram is a phenomenal place for you. And then, uh, like, if you could, like, again, I think, like, the, the people at that threshold of thinking about whether or not they want to continue the life of drudgery, the life of black and white, the life of just boringness, and, 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 and they're thinking about stepping into the threshold of a Sarah Riley, Riley life where she's moving all around the globe and she's snowboarding and she's doing all kinds of crazy, cool, fun stuff. Talk to that person on the way out and then we'll say okay. goodbye. All right. All right. So number one, number one is where I want them to find me. I've got a new website actually being built right now. So there's no point in going to sarahreillycoaching.com because it doesn't even look like me. Um, but the new one goes up in about a month. But probably Instagram is my favorite. Sarah with an H. Riley is R-E-I-L-L-Y coaching um, on Instagram and also Sarah Riley coaching on Facebook. Um, if you want to catch me live from time to time, um, I'm really active on Instagram stories. So if you want to see a day in the life of a life coach, you can follow me drinking an obscene amount of tea and <laughs> doing brunch at all times of the day and going fun places and having hilarious experiences with clients and all of the rest of that stuff. So Instagram is my favorite platform. So find me there. Uh, the person who's thinking about leaping, like I, <laughs> this is going to come across a little morbid, but I feel like sometimes we just need that wake up call. Um, we don't know how long we've got. Like you are blessed to get 80 years on this planet, but you're not guaranteed it, right? So if there is stuff in your life that you really feel like that's your purpose, or even if you don't know what your purpose is, but you know that it's not the cubicle life, without wanting to seem overly dramatic or morbid, this might be your last year. It might be your last five years. It might be your last years. You've not got like an unlimited amount of time, right? So if I'm a huge proponent of recognizing that we don't have unlimited time. So whatever you want to do, you need to get started now. You need to try it now. Change jobs now. Take up snowboarding now. Get an insane haircut now. 
dye your whole self purple now, write the book now, hire the coach now, build a caravan now, whatever it is for you, get started now. And I like as much as I don't like to finish these things on a morbid note, that's basically the kicker. You are lucky, like if you're lucky, get 80 years here right? That's it. You've got 80 years to try as much stuff as you possibly can to have as many amazing experiences to do as much as you can from your personal bucket list, to have as much fun, to meet as many people, to experience as many different emotions as you possibly can. At the end of this incredible roller coaster ride, we get stuck in a box and buried, right? <laughs> so, and it doesn't matter if your business succeeded or failed. It doesn't matter if you got to 1 million or 1 billion. None of that stuff matters. What matters is, did you live? So if you're not doing your own personal version of living right mm. now, don't wait. Do it now. Sarah Riley. Come on, girl. Give me a little bit on the little online fist bump. <laughs> you, thank you for turning things inside out and upside down. You have rocked the world, and uh, thanks for sharing from your treasure. We appreciate you. An absolute pleasure. I loved every minute. Thanks for having me, Don.